ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take you all the way down in New Orleans this time. Ladies and gentlemen, I have kept you waiting for far too long, but I am glad to be back again with my brother like no other. My man, here for the Dome Patrol, Ross Jackson. Dude, I'm so glad. I needed the break. Yes. But I'm so glad to be back with you. Yeah, man. Absolutely, brother. Like, I'm, I'm glad to be here with you, man. I'm glad to see you. Glad to be seen. Like, everything all the way down to it, brother. I'm just glad to be here with you. So glad that this is back and that we're rolling, man. And look, take the time when you can get it, my brother. Always, always, always. So, you know, I had your back the whole way through, man. And I got your back now that we're, we're back on it. And let's get it, man. It's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, I've missed this. I've missed you, man. So, I'm glad to be here. And some good news that I can share yep. with you and the listeners. Um, yep. My wife and I yesterday made our first bid on a house. Let's get it. Yes. So we Black home we, ownership. So, yeah, we think we found, like, you know how it is? We had, we had started the, the look. And, you know, we had all our money set aside and, you know, mm-hmm. start going through the process of seeing what you can get approved for. And we're looking for a house. And we hadn't found that one, you know, like you walk, you want right. it to resonate where you yep. feel like you can look around and go, this is home. Mm-hmm. I can make this home. And we, this house came on the market yesterday morning. Dang. Yesterday morning. And my wife sends me the message like, we have to go see this house. And I'm like, mm, okay. You know, cause I don't want to get burned. I'm like, she, right. So we see it. I said, okay, I'm feeling you. She went by on her lunch break and she's like, we have to so set up the appointment. So our realtor hooks us up 425. We go over there, see the house. By 530, we had made our bid. Man. We, we took our daughter and the dog. There you go. <laughs> so it's like everybody had to see it. It's like, if you get the vibe. And my daughter, who is 12 years old, looks at me and says, daddy, if you don't, buy this house. Now, that's all I said. There's no guarantees, baby. It's just, you know, we'll see what happens. But she's like, if you don't buy this house, I will never speak to you again. And I said, are you kidding? And she says, possibly. And I said, I might be playing. And then this is, this is how I know this child is mine. Okay. Like there's no doubt if you see her, you know, she's mine. But if you right. talk to her, if you have never seen her and you talk Bets to Natalia Grubb. her off. <laughs> so she, t- we're in the car and I said, baby, we might not get this. So, you know, I said, there's, there's never a guarantee in life. You know, people got to accept your money and go through all the things and stuff. And she's like, I get it, but this is the house I want. And I said, so I said, well, what if there, are there anything that could make you not want this house? If we found out some information that could not work the house. I said, what if it's haunted? She's like, I'm fine. She said, I said, what if there are demons? She says, I've got charisma. I can make friends with them. I said, <laughs> I said, what if there's a vortex that takes you to another dimension that's full of nothing but darkness? And she said, that sounds like fun. That's my child winning a debate She's with me, <laughs> no matter what. I love it, man. I love it. Well, best of luck, yo. Congratulations on putting in the offer, man. I hope that it gets accepted. I hope that y'all are in there by 425 tomorrow. 
I hope that it all works out, man. That's, that's so dope, man. Congrats. Thank you. So yeah, that's, and I wouldn't have that time. I mean, we needed some time to go out and do that. So that was kind of cool. Um, but of course the big news is the, we'll start with the home of the saints, Mm -hmm. the Superdome. Mm -hmm. They will be somewhat welcomed at home this weekend. Uh, I, I think this was, if there was going to be a compromise, this is the most reasonable compromise. Mm-hmm. 3,000 fans to start um, and a slow but steady ramp up. Um, New Orleans, I think Mayor Cantrell did a great job on this and being firm. Mm-hmm. And I think the Saints did the right thing in being flexible. Right. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, I think that this is when we talked about this early on before the season began, there were some rumors that they might allow fans in as early as the the second home game against the Green Bay Packers. And when we talked about that, there was some concern around that idea and, and everything from both of us. We both had some hesitation about it, about like maybe wait a little bit longer, see how it plays out elsewhere, and then use that data to make the right decision. Uh, and it looks like that's what they did. And, and I know that people were very upset with Mayor Cantrell and with the city of New Orleans for not immediately folding and, and, and making this available. But I, I applaud the city as well as the organization for letting everybody know what they felt like they needed. I even applaud the, the New Orleans Saints for like, even if it was petty to go out on Twitter and say all these people have played in indoor domes and everything like that. Like, I don't care. You let everybody know what it was that you needed. And I think that in order for you to even get to a place where you can find a compromise, you have to be open and honest about what that is. So while some people saw it as bickering and going back and forth, there is the other underlying part of it, which was that, look, we needed to know what each party needed here in order to be able to figure something out. And so they were able to get behind closed doors yesterday, have that conversation. Um, they'll go with 3,000 fans on Sunday, which is great. It's about 4% mm-hmm. of the dome. Uh, but still better than 750 people, which is what they've seen over the last couple of home games, starting with the Packers game. And then they'll ramp that up if everything goes well. And Mayor Cantrell specifically, gave, like she gave specifics about what that would mean. So no boost in uh, community spreading and then no change in the, uh, the numbers as they are right now. And so, you know, she has a very specific criteria by which she would consider this, uh, the city would consider this a success. And then if all goes well off of that, then in the end of November, both of those gains would boost up to 6,000. And then you could potentially see up to 15,000 fans in the stands, which is just over 20%, it's about 20.5% capacity for the week 15 game against the Kansas City Chiefs. And then the Christmas night game week 16 against the Minnesota Vikings, which if there are two games... (laughs) where the Saints need fans, <laughs> that's the ones. Uh, because those have big-time playoff implications losing either one of those games. And so that's obviously what you're looking at from the Saints' perspective, but what you're looking at from the city of New Orleans' perspective and the local government and Mayor Cantrell is safety and health above all else, which is the way that it should be. And so I, I like this compromise. This is akin to what – you know, I had some people ask me, Ross, what would you do? And I'm like, well, first of all, I would never hold – that position to where I'd have to make a decision like that. So that's the first thing I would do. But the second thing, if I had to make that decision, I would have talked to the Saints about moving to Yulman and playing at Tulane with a reduced audience and maybe doing 3,000 there because that only seats about, what, 30,000 at that stadium, if I remember correctly? So you look at like 10% capacity, right? So you get the 3,000, but then you get it in the fixed roof dome, which I believe this is going to be the first team to take on this endeavor in the NFL 
and sort of be that first team to broach that and say, we are welcoming, you know, over a thousand fans into a fixed dome stadium, which was a big indication and sort of what made Mayor Cantrell feel uncomfortable about opening it up in the first place. So they'll be the first ones to do it here. And so we've seen that you can do it outdoors. We've seen that you could do it in the retractable roof stadiums, even with the stadiums closed. And as long as you have masks, you have social distancing, you follow the protocols that are set forth by CDC, who local government, everything like that, that it can be done safely. Now you just need to make sure that you can test this out and, and, and see how it works. And, but we've also seen the inverse on a lot of college campuses who have allowed students into their buildings with no mask. We've watched the games and you see right. students and fans out there with no mask in clusters. Yep. And now you look at just for an example, the university of Michigan mm-hmm. in Ann Arbor, the county saw, um, I think Michigan, the university now has the highest incident within the entire county. Right. They're at like the 6% uh, infection rate on that campus. These are the things that, and I think, you know, my logic sense was, why would you try to ramp up to t- people wanting 25, 30,000 people as we're going into flu season, which is the right. part of the year where all the experts say, infection rates are going to increase dramatically. Right. New Orleans is also the lowest uh, infection rate of any parish in the state of Louisiana right now. Orleans Parish is doing the best. It is the most tourist centric. It is not just about this fall for New Orleans. It is about the next Mardi Gras. It is about the next bowl season. It's about the, the Superdome is holds so many more events than saints related events. It's about essence fest for next year. Mm -hmm. New Orleans has to be a city that people can visit. It has to get beyond the COVID as best it can. And I think, if Mayor Control had opened it up too early, and this is not about politics to me, this is nope. just about on the health issue. If she had opened up too early, I don't think you'd be in a position today to be talking about the Superdome staying open. I think that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And and that, that it's such a smart way to look at it that like 25,000 people probably limited within 125 miles of New Orleans, more than likely they would have put some kind of a cap or limit on it in terms of you traveling in to see the game. 25,000 people in the dome for a game is not worth losing all of the other things that you mentioned next year's money. That's not going to stimulate the economy enough of new Orleans to deal with everything else that you could potentially lose in terms of hotel revenue for the next year, the next set of sports events, essence fest, all these other things, Mardi Gras, everything that we're hoping that this country can find a way <laughs> to rebound in time for, uh, mm-hmm. although Mardi Gras to me, that that to, I I got my concerns. I'll say it that it way. Seems I, I like, my reservations. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I would love to see it. Like I would love to be out of it by then. But you know, a socially but, distanced Mardi Gras would be an amazing sight. Right. Like, like y'all people. too y'all too close. I'm not throwing you nothing. The the the, the, the yellow tape people would be ecstatic. <laughs> They'd you be know, great. They'd be no, fine. <laughs> they, finally, they can't mess with us. We got six right. feet of yellow tape everywhere. Great. Yeah, every every headdress is designed to specifically create <laughs> six feet of different distance on either side. It'd be beautiful. It'd be beautiful. The cruise would be fa- the cruise would be fine. It's oh. but you know it's it's the audience, right? Of course. Mm-hmm. And so like that that's the big thing, man. Is like you have to keep into consideration foresight 
and beyond this point. So I like the fact that they're starting with only 3,000 fans. It's going to make a little bit of a difference for the team to just even have that energy there to go from 750 and then multiply that by over three times and to introduce, introduce those people at home with Teddy Bridgewater coming back a division uh, game coming off the bye week, the first time that you have fans in the stands as opposed to friends and family in the stands, like there's still going to be an energy that's palpable in that audience, even if it is only 4% of, uh, of it. But if you do this right, if you wear the masks, if it's enforced, if you socially distance, if you mind the boundaries, because the, they're going to use plexiglass and everything to sort of create you know, pods essentially for people. And if you only go where you're supposed to go, and if you contact trace the way that you're supposed to, while you're there scanning tickets, when you go from one place to another could be an option, things like that. Like then that helps the next phase take place and everybody has to play their role. You can't do like North Carolina. You can't, you know, university of North Carolina, you can't do like, what was it? The Georgia game a couple of weeks yeah. ago where ain't, ain't nobody had a mask on except for like the one black dude that was there. <laughs> it was like, I'm not messing with y'all. Uh-uh, uh-uh. <laughs> but like you can't you can't do that you know what i mean you, you have to follow the procedures and the procedures and protocols have to be enforced yes. and it's easier to enforce it on three thousand people than it is to go from zero to twenty five hundred or twenty five thousand right away and then try to enforce it there this is a, a, a smart choice and twenty five thousand and people have to think about this twenty five thousand people with pent-up energy Right. You know what yeah, I mean? Who that, are like, coming? Right. Like, it's not about even being malicious, right? It just might be that, like, somebody pulls down their masks to cheer and then forgets to put it back up. Like, it's not even about people, like, like advert, like, intentionally making the wrong choice. It's just about the, the gradual, you know, taking a gradual build into... The Houdat Nation is it's one of the loudest fan bases, one of the most engaged fan bases in sports, not even just across the NFL. And so you have to understand that there's a passion that there is, you know, pent up energy, as you mentioned, all those other things that factor into this. It's not even about people making malicious decisions or anything like that. It's just about sometimes people will get amped up and they'll forget this, that, and the other. It's easier to, it's easier to enforce that and to make sure that everybody is staying safe with a smaller group to start. Cause you know, how it is a big play happens in the dome and mm -hmm. strangers are up on strangers. Mm -hmm. A bad play happens and strangers are up on strangers. I have be between Mardi Gras and the Superdome. I have touched more strangers in those two scenarios than I have in the rest of my entire life, anywhere else that I've gone. Don't you know take I mean? that quote out of context. Anybody please take that, that quote up? out of context. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody listening, please don't cut that and move it around and put it on something else that he's touched a bunch of strangers. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like high-fiving like people that you've never met before and like everything like that. Like it's just one of those things, man. Like the community is, is, is different in yep. a situation like that and in a scenario like that. And you just, like I said, you're just trying to mitigate that. You don't want people to feel too restrained, but at the same time, it's kind of a conditioning. You have to mm -hmm. retrain fans in this moment on how to enjoy themselves under this situation. It's just right. what it is. And right. we, everybody wants to enjoy the games. Everybody wants to be feel like they're a part of the action. That's the whole point of being in attendance is that you feel like your emotion, you help push your team and you want to feel that energy in return. But we got to yeah. do it differently. It's just yep. that's that's just fact. Yeah.
And this is this feels like the right way to do it. It's not going to stimulate the, the economy of New Orleans. It's going to be 3,000 people that are already season ticket holders that already live in New Orleans. They're not going to come in and rent out hotel rooms. They're not going to go out and tailgate. Like, you can't tailgate in the first place. So, like, they're not going to hit the restaurants before they show up, everything like that. Like, it's not going to do that. And and that's that is – but it is going to stimulate the economy in that the New Orleans Saints will sell tickets when they aren't usually selling tickets. So any bonus is a bonus in this situation. And I think that like that conversation has been a very popular conversation and not one that I feel like truly applies to this scenario, because even had they opened it up earlier and with more people, it would have been people from around the area. So it wouldn't have done the thing that some people have, have talked about. You know what I mean? It's not, yeah, this is not an economic savior. Like even there's, and I think that that conversation and you saw I responded to some rants on Twitter about that. It's it, We cannot do that to have this conversation. We can't muddle issues that are not related here because this wasn't going to save waiters. It wasn't going to say all the, the vendors will not be in the Superdome, even at 25,000. Right. All of the people who were employed for game day work were not going to be in the Superdome. Those service industry workers, the hit, and we, you and I both know people mm-hmm. who work in service industry. You, you can't be around actors. You can't be around sports. You can't right. be around, you know, these types of things and not know people who have to hustle with a second gig. It wasn't going to save them. Yeah, they would love to have more opportunities, but this wasn't the, a panacea of any type um, to do that. What it is is a team, and I understand that. You want to have the most of your ticket-holding public in the building as you possibly can, mm-hmm. and you have a city that's doing what it has to do. I get both of those approaches, and that's why you have a negotiation. But the other parts we need, like, let's not have these throw other people who are not really related to this fight into it. And it's not really even a fight. It's a negotiation, which is what should happen. And quite frankly, my thought always has been too is the Saints don't pay rent. They get paid to be in the Superdome. So it's kind of hard to tell people that in a place that you don't, it's like my kids. Right. You know, (laughs) if you want to make decisions, Kick in some rent. You know? <laughs> That's how it works. You want me to buy this house? Then you got to start earning some money. This is how things go. And that's, that no, was but, just my thought. But yeah. there's so many like, other plot lines yeah. on the field. Mm-hmm. And for week six, for week six, I thought, you know, we talked about this before the season. We thought this, the back half of the season was going to be more difficult. Yeah. But this front half, I think, has been more difficult internally than we could have ever imagined. Mm-hmm. All the things that we thought were benefits, the number of starters returning, the, the uh, cohesion between this group, you don't get, you're not getting that vibe from this team that you had the last three years. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, it was, it, it, was a, it was a surprise. It was a shock because you saw, as you mentioned, so much familiarity that returned. And then where the familiarity wasn't, you added veteran presence. You know, you upgraded Eli Apple to Janoris Jenkins. You took the experience of Von Bell and upgraded that to many more years of experience in Malcolm Jenkins. You took Ted Ginn Jr., let him take his way to Chicago. And then you brought in Emmanuel Sanders, who you were trying to get last year at the trade deadline. Like all of those changes. And then you, uh, you know, th- there's conversation to be had about the change from Larry Warford to Cesar Ruiz slash Nick Easton. But either way, there's there was a lot of 
good movement for the Saints over the offseason to where you expected them to be able to come in and just be that team that was cohesive and that was ready to go and that was on the same page right away. And instead, you saw the exact opposite. You saw Drew Brees take two, three weeks to get in tune with uh, Traquan Smith and Emmanuel Sanders. You saw them lose Michael Thomas after the first week, which really took a shot, you know, or, or put a shot out towards that continuity because now you have Traquan Smith running routes from a place that he's not run routes with Drew Brees before. You have Emmanuel Sanders holding a role that he wasn't expected to hold when he came in. And then you have a rotation of a third wide receiver that has been getting mixed in. But it looks like they found something good in Marquez Callaway last week, the undrafted rookie out of Tennessee. So you have all of that. Then you have the defense that it's surprising to me how often we have watched this happen with the secondary year in and year out, whether it's a new group of players, whether it's rookies, whether it's more experienced rookies or now veteran presence, we have seen the same secondary since 2014 and it's wild. It's kind of wild to watch because you have seen them progressively get better over the course of the season since 2017. But as of right now, there's not much indication that that's, that that, that, that process has begun. doesn't mean that it won't happen, it just means that there's nothing really at this point that makes you say, oh, yeah, no, they'll get better, you know, except for the fact that Janoris Jenkins potentially comes back to the lineup this week. But Marshawn Lattimore has struggled. Uh, Marcus Williams continues to try to make plays on receivers as opposed to plays on the ball. Uh, you've seen uh, Malcolm Jenkins get put in situations that he hasn't been able to excel in. You've watched them try to work. Uh, P.J. Williams is a deep safety, and that has now led to two broken plays that ended up for touchdowns or at least big gains. Like we've seen that not work against both green Bay and the Los Angeles chargers. And so we're seeing some of the things that they're trying in terms of having to move pieces around and, and make up for pieces that are lost, but it's just not the team that we thought that we would see at the beginning of this season. There are some things that are trending upward, but there are still some major question marks left. Let's start with the defensive side of the ball because mm-hmm. there are so many if you just step back and you didn't know who this team was, you would actually kind of think the defense was doing a decent job. It looks mm-hmm. on paper like they're not doing they're not giving up a ton of yards, but that takes the penalty yards out of the equation. They are getting a lot of pressures, but let me get you let's start right there. They mm-hmm. get a lot of pressures, they're doing a decent number, you know, in numbers and sacks. But talk about this is something that you've cataloged as the defensive line's performance this year. What about when those pressures are really coming mm-hmm. and are they really getting effective pressure because teams are quarterbacks are not looking harassed right. by the Saints. Yeah. I, I think that the, the Monday night game against the Los Angeles chargers was kind of an anomaly for the quarterback situation. Justin Herbert had pressure in his face the entire game, first quarter to fourth quarter to overtime, first down to last down. He had pressure. There were 30, I think, pro football focus catalog, 31 different pressures during that game. And the, the, the Chargers took 70 snaps, 71 snaps that game. So over a third of the time they were facing pressure. Now, some of those overlap, right? Some of those pressures overlap with one another. You can get credited with one separate pressure for two different players who have pressure on the same play. So it might not be 31 separate plays, but still a, a pretty good amount 
you know, you can pretty safely feel like it's, it was at least a quarter of the plays, which is a pretty hefty amount. That's what you want to see. Even if the sack numbers aren't there, you see the pressure there at that percentage. And that's a really good look for the defensive line. The issue is that Justin Herbert just wasn't really phased by it. And, you know, we saw him in the red zone make big throws under pressure. We saw him on third and long make big throws under pressure with defenders in his face. So it has to be the symbiotic relationship between the pass rush and the secondary. That relationship has to exist. So if you're going to send the house in the red zone, that means you're playing one-on-one man coverage across the board. So your defenders have to be ready for crossing routes. You have to be ready for crossing patterns that are going to you know, inherently create separation across the field. And that's how we saw the first two touchdowns in the red zone get scored. The third one in the red zone was just scored essentially off of you know, Hunter Henry making a good play and creating separation from Demario Davis. But on the defensive side, you got the matchup that you wanted and you saw the adjustment. Four-man rush, linebackers dropped into coverage, and then you manned up across the board elsewhere. So – You've seen the Saints start to adjust a little bit when they realize what's not working um, and find some way to try to make it work. But their struggles in the red zone have been really concerning. 17 of 20 in terms of what they're allowing on scoring possessions for opposing offenses in the red zone. Next to last in the league Mm in red zone percentage. Yeah, they've been really, really bad there. But the reason why, if you just look at the numbers, and then you mentioned the penalties, they cleaned up on the penalties this last week. Well, they didn't clean up. They moved the penalties from the defensive side to the special team side is mm-hmm. really what happened uh, and negated some of Marquez's Callaway's really nice work. But when you, when you look at what this team is showing on paper, they're still ranking around the middle of the league in terms of yardage allowed, things like that, it's, but it's points allowed. That has been the really big thing. So they're giving up good field position with some of these errant turnovers that we've seen from Drew Brees in particular. And then we have, you know, red zone, lack of red zone defense that you're also seeing. So that equates to more points, less yardage. You also have the good benefit of looking around the NFL and NFL defense is trash this season. NFL defense is, has been hit hard by the COVID off season, by the COVID affected off season. And so, in a regular season, maybe what you would be seeing is the Saints still ranking toward the bottom, but because defenses around the NFL have been worse, they end up ranking toward the middle. So there are a couple of things that skew the numbers just or skew the the pattern just looking at the numbers, but you still have a lot of things that you have to fix. Communication on the back end, um, get you know, transitioning one transitioning a, a receiver from one zone to the other, um, coverage over the middle, the linebacker coverage has been lacking, particularly in zone. Alex Anzalone has been used a lot as a deep uh, as a deep middle safety, or excuse me, a deep middle linebacker in Tampa two coverage. So we've seen them really lean into in Tampa two uh, or Tampa two and cover two are way up this season as well because it's a basic enough concept to play that protects deep. But you've seen them blow plays like that. You saw that last week with PJ Williams biting down on a crossing route that he had no business worrying about because that's what Alex Anzalone is there for. So it's communication. It's it's all the things that we've repeatedly said year in and year out about the Saints secondary. And then for the defensive line, a lot of it is sometimes they're getting pressure, but they're not getting home. They're playing against, you know, they've had to play against some annoyingly mobile quarterbacks and they'll continue to play against them throughout the rest of this season. And so that's something that they're just going to have to be able to adjust to is, is contained. They've done a little bit better off of play action, a little bit better with boot action plays, things like that. And so you're seeing the defensive line play a better game over the last two weeks against Detroit and against Los Angeles. And I think that Marcus Davenport coming back last week was a big benefit for the Saints D-line, but they still, yeah, again, it's the, that symbiotic relationship has to exist between those two units in order to see success over on the defensive side. And this matchup for the defense, again, you'd say 
Carolina's a team that gives up a lot of pressure on their offensive line. Um, they are a solid running team, but not a great one. Uh, so you would think that the Saints would have a good uh, option, uh, opportunity here to make Carolina one-dimensional. But uh, Carolina has run the ball kind of well the last two weeks. Mm-hmm. Teddy knows this defense, too. He's played against them in practice. He's done, you know, what what can they what kind of wrinkles can they throw at 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 Carolina this week, who may also be getting Christian McCaffrey back? We may see mm-hmm. him. It may not be in a full capacity, but he he could be on the field. Curtis Samuels looked good. The wide receiving core in general has looked good for Tampa. I mean for excuse me, for Carolina. Teddy's completing seventy percent of his passes. Got more picks than you'd like to see, certainly. Right. But this this is a going to be that that upfront battle as it is every week, but particularly in this game, really, the Saints have to dominate, not just win it. They have to dominate up front against Carolina. Yeah, they absolutely have to. And you can look at some of those sack percentage or some of those sacks throughout the season so far that this offensive line has given up in Carolina. What you notice is that a lot of those sacks come on plays to where they're trying to defend against stunts and twists. And that's another reason why Marcus Davenport is so important because you can march, you can line up Marcus Davenport on the interior, but then have him and Cam Jordan run a twist where Cam Jordan attacks the inside and then you get uh, Marcus Davenport bending around the edge. And as Cam Jordan bites toward the inside, you'll see the the tackle react to that and pull inside so that Marcus Davenport has a a lane around. So speed rush. um, So a guy like Zach Bond, who can be a part of that, who we saw get 12 snaps last week. So his snaps are starting to come up. He's played mostly as a run defender, but he can get involved in pass rush as well. Um, uh, 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 Trey Hendrickson has had a surprisingly fantastic season so far with four and a half sacks on the year. He's already hit his total in five games. He hit last year's total. So he's been playing well. So you're going to look to see all of that rotation on the defensive side. And I talked to T Bob a bear a couple of days ago who played offensive line for LSU. And I asked him, what is, what, how, what does that do to an offensive line when you have all of these players that are playing multiple positions and shifting all around, and then you have other players that are coming off the sideline to line up in all these different spots? And the way that he explained it was that, first of all, one of the things, and this is what we've talked about here on the show before, is that it wears you down because you're going up against fresh faces and fresh legs over and over again all the way, until the four, all the way into the fourth quarter where you're starting to get tired, so you don't have the benefit of stamina in that case because you have guys that are getting rest rotating and then it also changes what those guys are good at and the way that he was talking about it was that like maybe Marshawn um, excuse me uh, Marcus Davenport and Sheldon Rankins one run one stunt really well but then you can put David on Yamada and uh and Cam Jordan in those exact same positions and they might run a different stunt really well or a different scheme really well and so that type of combination that the offensive linemen have to adjust to based upon who they're lined up against and who's lined up beside on either side of them and who's creeping up in the gaps from the linebacker position all these different possibilities and all these different combinations have already shown to give Carolina problems throughout this season so far that's one of the reasons why you've seen Teddy sacked as much as he has been or or it's responsible for most of the sacks that Teddy's been sacked on and so you would expect to see the Saints continue to do that and you utilize that against them because look, if I see it on tape they see it on tape <laughs> you know what I mean and so they'll take advantage of that for sure and then we'll see what happens with Christian McCaffrey it's looking like he's not gonna play but they still 
produce well with Mike Davis. They still throw the ball to him out of the backfield. He can still run the ball. So the, that element of the game doesn't, as you, as you observe, doesn't go away with Christian McCaffrey. So you still have to defend against that as well. So you don't immediately start off in a position where you can just pin your ears back and get after the quarterback. You still have to defend the run early in the game and you still have to work to make them one dimensional. The issue is that if you make them one dimensional, can you stop that one dimension? because you've got Robbie Anderson, you've got DJ Moore, who's had success against the Saints multiple times. You've got Curtis Samuel, who has really come into his own and his new role in Joe Brady's offense. And so you know that Marshawn Lattimore has struggled against those smaller, twitchier, faster guys. And you've got literally three of them that line up on this offense. And so how is he going to fare on a season where he's had a down season so far without any pass defenses, without any, uh, without any interceptions and allowing a perfect passer rating when targeted? You, you have to be a little bit concerned about this matchup going into this for the secondary as a whole. And it's going to be led by the tone of it needs to be set by Marshawn Lattimore, who hopefully making that game saving that game ending tackle to against Mike Williams, maybe comes in with like a rejuvenated confidence and ready to go for this game. Yeah. You look at, at Carolina's options on the perimeter and with Robbie Anderson, a guy who Saints fans wanted last year yep. um, and talked about who can stretch you deep, but also, they can move you side to side. And right. as you talked about, coverage has been an issue for the, for the linebackers as well. Demario Davis has not played at the level that we were accustomed to the last two seasons. It's, right. and it's come at a bad time for him, not just for the team, but for him personally in, in getting ready to negotiate a contract extension or, or a new contract. He's, this just not has, has not been Demario Davis. Yeah. Well, the, the, I mean, the, the, the crazy part about it is that like the contract, the contract for him is done. Like they've, that's, they've, they've extended him. And so right, now so I'm forgetting. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, it's all good because your, your point is still right. That like he has to perform on that new contract. He has to justify getting that money and the saints have to justify spending that money. <laughs> and that's the other, especially when you know that the salary cap is going to drop next year and everything. And so you expect to see him play at a level that warrants that. And so far we've seen him play. I mean, he's still been one of the best players on the defensive side, of course, but still not up to the well, standards, right? Yeah. That, yeah. that, that presence, the, the simple fact of that, it felt like over the last two seasons that at, at the end of every play, you saw Demario Davis somewhere in, in the right. picture, yep. every play it felt like yep. he was either the first one to the ball or right there. And, and this season it's been different. Yeah. Uh, and, and that, like you said, he's been good. He's been at times very good, mm-hmm. but he's not been Demario Davis. Yeah. Particularly in coverage. Like he's, he's played really well. Pass rush played really well in the run game. It's just been, it's been the coverage thing, which the problem is that right now the saints haven't had any linebackers that are, that have been consistently effective in coverage. And I know people are very excited that Kiko Alonso has come off the PUP list and is returning to practice, but Kiko Alonso ain't giving you coverage at the second level. That's not what he's there for. He's there to tackle, hit people and stop the run. He's there to play strong side linebacker. That's what they want to do with Zach Bond. That's what they would do with Kiko Alonso if he gets back to the active roster. So he's not going to help you in coverage. It's Demario Davis and Alex Anzalone. Those are your coverage linebackers. That's why they stay on the field in nickel sets. That's why one of them is on the field in dime sets. That's why they play the most snaps when it comes to linebackers. That's why they haven't played any base defense much this season they played 21 snaps of base defense 12 of them came in the last game nine before that over the first four games so when you look at that you need those guys to step up in coverage so while demario davis is performing in certain areas where they really really need help 
is in coverage at that second level. And that's where they're struggling both with DeMario Davis and Alex Anzalone. Another area the Saints have had a problem with is creating turnovers, uh, yes. particularly in the secondary. Only three interceptions a season, two of them come in week one. So you've had one interception, you know, by your defense in the last five, uh, four games. The, the coverage has been an issue, certainly. But if you're getting pass rush, what is what what do you see have, that has changed? Because we know the scheme hasn't changed. We know the, 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 the coaching hasn't changed. Right. Is there something psychologically – like, is there, are we hearing things, not that there's maybe infighting, but just something that, you know, with the Mike Thomas situation and, and its piece, and is it just, there's just something amiss in that, yeah. t- with that team right now? I, I haven't, I haven't started to equate that with the performance at this point in the season. I'll wait and see what happens when Michael Thomas gets back out on the field and then see kind of how that all works out. I do think that Michael Thomas not being on the field has affected the team because now they're running receivers in positions that they weren't expected to run them. And you've got Alvin Kamara carrying a heavy load so far this year, things like that. So things are a little bit different, but in terms of not generating turnovers, you can see it on the film that they're just not attacking the ball. They're attacking the receivers. There's a lot of opportunities. There's two interceptions that Marcus Williams could have had had he played the ball as opposed to play the receiver. But he's focused so much this offseason on improving his tackling, which he has. He's gone from a 20% missed tackle rate to a 10% missed tackle rate, which is you know among, I don't want to say among the best in the league, but it's among the good and that's league. dramatic improvement. Um, it's a big time improvement for sure. But now we're seeing him put so much focus on that area of the game that he intrinsically wants to attack the receiver as opposed to attack the ball. And so we saw four turnover worthy throws, according to Sports Radar, from Justin Herbert. And on two of those, Marcus Williams could have made a play on the ball. And you didn't see him do that. You saw him bite down to the defender. You saw a pass interference call. They got called on him on what should have been considered an uncatchable pass, but I'm very confused about that rule so far this year, but against the Detroit lions where he went down to play the receiver, whereas if he would have taken the angle up, he would have had an interception akin to what he had week one against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to where it was just overthrown and he was in the position to make the play could have been something very similar to that. So when it comes to the turnovers and, and, and lack of turnover generation has been a problem for the Saints for a while now. And we've seen this over and over again. Part of it is just simply that they're not making the plays in the ball. They have a plus one turnover differential, but it's mostly because of the fact that the offense isn't turning the ball over as much. It's just unfortunate that when the offense does turn the ball over, it's in you know bad field position. It's early on and downs is usually what we're seeing. And so... I mean, I, I don't know. I, I think you have like you have the Drew Brees situation that you can look at from the offseason. You have the Michael Thomas situation that you can look at here during the season. But I don't know that either of them have much of an effect on the team at this time or not as much of an effect as simply not having Michael Thomas be a part of your offense for four games has had. Uh, and then Drew Brees having to adjust to new people in new places. And then over on the defensive side, this is just consistent with what we've seen with early Saints defense, like early season Saints defense. It's just that right now you're not seeing any trend toward the idea of them getting any better. And so hopefully you start to see that this week against a familiar opponent. Let's talk about this Mike Thomas um, situation because it is getting a lot of pub nationally. Mm -hmm. And the interesting way in which the Saints handled this because basically they circumnavigated his contract right. to deactivate him, not suspend him, because if right. they had suspended him, he could have voided his, his $28 million uh, of his contract. The Saints could have done so. 
Um, they don't want to provoke him in that manner. But they do this thing. He cost him a game check, not a real suspension, deactivation. He should play this week. Everybody feels confident in that. But what is the lingering effect of that? And, and the, the national narrative now is that this is who Mike Thomas is, that there's a reputation for him in the locker room. And uh-huh. I've not – I wasn't aware of this. I, people around the team have never said this to me before, that right. Mike Thomas was a negative influence and needed to be, as Mike Florio put it, um, basically, what, controlled or put back under control? And, yeah. like, that seems inconsistent with the way that, that Mike Thomas has been talked about by his teammates, by this organization – Something else just seems that there's a sometimes there are personal problems and that happens in a locker room. Yeah, I look uh, every I've done the same thing. I've talked to players. I've talked to people in the organization. I've talked to people on the training staff who he was accused of like going hard at. And there was an instance in which he did get mad about somebody wrapping his foot the wrong way. That did happen is, is my understanding. But it was understandable because as he mentioned in a tweet that followed that up, he takes his health seriously. Right. Like if you're if I'm getting paid twenty seven million dollars to run, then you better wrap my damn ankle the right way. Like I completely like I think that that's completely understandable. And I think that some of these situations, unfortunately, get blown a little bit out of proportion. And we tend to affix this diva tag, which I hate, by the way, just the word diva and that phrase in that verbiage. We tend to attach the sort of like prima donna uh, drama queen there's a theme here uh in terms of you know people's behavior or whatever and we tend to do it to the wide receiver position and we tend to do it to uh players that have achieved some sort of status it happens every year it's somebody new every time and we have seen it most famously with players like randy moss Torello, and odell beckham jr um i think that when you look at this situation what I care about is what the organization is saying and what people within the organization are telling me. And for me and from what I've heard, and it sounds like from what you've heard and many other people that I've talked to, this situation is, has quickly become a non-issue within the facility. It has just re- retained attention outside of the building. It has retained attention by media. I tried to move on from it as quickly as possible because it, if, if I have players that are both leaders and you know some guys that are a little bit more detached from Michael Thomas that are over on different areas where they're not getting as much involvement with them. They have no reason to protect him. They could say what they wanted to say about him, right? And especially to do it anonymously, they would say what they needed to say. And there was no, there was no connection to any of that in that way. So when it comes to this, I think that the longest lasting effect is that probably Michael Thomas is pissed off just because of the way that people are talking about him. You saw Deontay Harris even take to Twitter a couple of weeks ago saying like, imagine waking up every morning and seeing your name in other people's mouth or other people talking about your life and everything. And so to me, that was like an empathetic tweet about what was going on with Michael Thomas. And I think that this will quickly be forgotten once he gets back out onto the field and then, the, the media will have a different reason to talk about Michael Thomas at that point. But it, it's look, it's, it's something that we see all the time when it comes to wide receivers and all. And, and I have received the same feedback that you have that there's no indication that this has been like a long lasting thing. What I will mention is that in the scenarios of my, of, of Randy Moss, 
Terrell Owens, Odell Beckham Jr., what you didn't see was discipline from the organization in any of those any of those scenarios. They either just moved on from the player or they just tried to to deal with it because, oh, he's a good player and we don't want to upset him. The Saints at least put forth some type of discipline. And they said, you, you know, he was seemed like he was on track to play that week. They said, never mind, you're not playing. We're costing you a game check. That's your fine. And then, as you mentioned, they specifically did not suspend him, which to me shows a mutual respect between the two of understanding that we're going to discipline you, but we're not going to mess with your money. Right. If you did something that was, you know, and you didn't show any remorse, you didn't show any sign of growth during that meeting, but that took place between him and, and Sean Payton, maybe you would have seen a harsher moment there. Like we have seen in other areas around the NFL. But to me, the fact that the team didn't suspend him, the fact that the team didn't mess with his money and the fact that he seemed joyous as hell on that first take interview that he photo that he like video bombed during, uh, while he was talking to Cannon Jordan seemed happy as hell to announce that he was coming back this week. I think that all of those signs point to this is everyone's ready to move past this. This situation happened. It was handled and it's over. Nobody has been a more consistent Lieutenant. Lieutenant, Mike, Mike Thomas has never put himself at the front. Right. You see him during those huddles, pregame huddles. He's there. He's in yep. the mix. But he is intently focused on whether it's DeMario, whether it's Drew, whomever. I've not seen him. He, even on the field, it's, it's, when he makes the play, it's, he, he's, he's pumping himself. It's clear. But right. I'm not going back to Ohio State, not going through any of his years in New Orleans. Have we seen something that would indicate? And I doubt the franchise that Sean Payton, Mickey Loomis would have invested the money that they have in him going forward if they felt that there was any possibility. Because they know Drew Brees is not long for the building. Right. And that if they felt that Mike Thomas would be the kind of guy who could dominate the next quarterback, could be the kind of guy making a problem for the transition you don't do these things. Yeah. So, I, I, yeah, I'm like you. I think this is a non-story. It's a thing that happens in locker rooms. It happens. Players do get frustrated. A guy who wants to play sees his team out there. He wants to compete. And like you said, if, if you're messing with my health, we're going to have a hard and, and, and arduous conversation maybe. Right. And, and it might get loud. But ultimately, I'm, it's nothing, unless you demean that trainer, you know what I mean? If it got personal, hey, right. man, you got to pay for that. We don't do that to employees. But stuff, right. this is what we're talking about. And I, I think the team is ecstatic that he's going to be on the field because yeah. all he does is multiply your chances of winning. That's right. all he does. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And look, the, the, one of the things that I'll, I, I've, I've mentioned about this too is that you look at this, this situation for Michael Thomas as somebody that wants to be out on that field, that's watching his team out there. He's, not, he's frustrated, bro. Like he's mad frustrated to not be out there on that field. And sometimes some of these things happen. I just think that we take for granted that since 2017, we haven't really seen anything like this happen, even though we have. Trey Hendrickson has started a fight every training camp except for this last year, and ain't nobody piped up about it. You know what I mean? Everybody says, oh, I love the tenacity, you know? And so it's like, and I'm not making any accusations. I'm just saying like that situation, those situations have been like, quick scrums and things like that scrums that have happened on the field. And then they, they ignite and then they're over, they flash hot, but they flash fast. And it now was this, Steve Smith and Steven Davis, you know what right, I mean? It wasn't right. that. Yeah. <laughs> you know it what wasn't I mean? Michael like Westbrook those, and right. Steve Smith. Getting, oh, like, what, what Cam, Cam Jordan choking out a, a, a teammate. Like it wasn't like that. You know what I mean? And so, so I understand why there was no discipline there, but all I'm saying is that like we have seen, 
seen moments like this, that, that it's still unfair to say that we haven't seen moments like this from the New Orleans Saints organization, but we certainly haven't seen something to this extent to where two players were jawing back and forth and then, and then one of them went at the other. And so I, I understand why this feels out of the ordinary and everything, but I think that that's part of what blows this out of proportion because when we talk about the Saints, we talk about culture. We talk about the culture. We talk about the culture within the, the organization and how much of a, you know, a family unit they are and, and what that is that's so specific to the rest of the NFL that when you see something like this, it's going to be bigger news than it needs to be simply because of how much of a rare, how much of a rare circumstance it is. I mean, even you, you, you saw in Dallas this week, where the team is coming out and calling its own coaching staff unprepared. Yeah. You don't see that in New Orleans. Right. So even whatever this is, it's still relatively inside the building. It's not something that guys like, and as you said, these, there's enough guys in there who would feel comfortable if they really wanted to say something, who, who are either, you know, mature enough, vested enough in this league that if right. they wanted to say something was amiss, they would. If Drew Brees wanted to say something right, he would. I think he right. would. Yeah. Um, Sean Payton would say this oh, team yeah. ain't and right. Remember, we've we've talked all off season into the season about how transparent Sean Payton has been, and certainly he told media the other day that you know he he wanted to talk about the players that played, and that was it. But I'm not gonna say I'm not gonna sit there and say that that means that he wouldn't say anything if there was something to say. You know what I'm saying? Like he he would have said something. I mean he he called out Larry Warford in front of the entire world. You know what I mean? And he, you know, talked about draft strategy. Like he has been way more transparent this offseason than he has been in his time so far as New Orleans Saints head coach. And I think that if there was something to be concerned about, you would hear it from him. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, also offensively, how uh, we talked about Kiko Alonso. We talked about Mike Thomas. Ty Montgomery um, back at practice as well. Again, adding more weapons to the offense is never a bad thing. How far do you think we are from seeing him get – good reps on the field again. Yeah. So they have three weeks to get him back on the active roster. If they decide that they want him to come back Um, with that, they'll, I think that there's a good chance that we see him sooner rather than later Uh, because they brought him back immediately after his, his, his three weeks, they, they would have had another five weeks or so to activate him. All right. Maybe that's, maybe that's off the PUP, but they had enough time to where they could have waited to activate him. And so now they'll have to make the decision about whether or not he makes the roster. But I do think that we would see him, um, he could get back on the roster as early as this week and then just end up being inactive for this week uh, as the fourth running back. Because it'll be interesting to see if he comes on and comes back, whose roster spot he takes. Because my guess is Benny Fowler, the wide receivers. Um, but of course, I mean, you can take that roster spot from offensive line, from defensive line, from anywhere along the team, right? There's no you know, immediate relation to all of it. Uh, but there's, there's some opportunities there for the Saints to move on from uh, Ken Crawley, things like like there's a lot of movement that they can create to get him back onto the roster because they have shown that they're okay with carrying for running backs for the season. And because of the fact that he can contribute for you as a wide receiver as well, it would make sense to me that you could also move from, even though his designation would be running back, you can move on from one of those other wide receivers that now with Michael Thomas coming back, you've got Michael Thomas, Trey Quan Smith, Emmanuel Sanders, Deontay Harris, and now Marquez Callaway, five, five wide receivers on top of those other guys that could potentially end up contributing from that position. But Ty Montgomery gives you the versatility. We know how much the saints value that. So that's my, my one thought there, but it will be interesting to see that if he, if he does make the roster, if he can contribute 
more than he contributed to the Saints earlier on in the season because he wasn't very active, which shouldn't really be a surprise because he was still the third and then at another time fourth running back on the roster. But it'll be interesting to see now maybe the offense is a little bit more comfortable. They have uh, you know a little bit more cohesion, a little bit more chemistry if he's able to get into the fold of that. So we could see him back as early as this week, but I wouldn't be surprised to see him maybe on the roster and inactive or something like that so that they can ease him into that as opposed to introducing now two more weapons over the offensive side and then messing with cohesion from that perspective. And that's what I was just thinking about is like, it it kind of works well for the saints who are fortunate to be sitting at three and two, Uh but You've worked Emmanuel Sanders into the groove. You now have a rapport with Drew and Emmanuel Sanders. There's already a rapport with him and, and Mike Thomas, but you want to reestablish mm-hmm. connection now with those two right. outside targets. And then, like you said, to have another amount of time to bring in a Ty Montgomery and figure that out as you work your big three and big right. four of Latavius Murray, Alvin Kamara, Mike Thomas, Emmanuel Sanders, get them into a rhythm and then hopefully when you are on that back nine, the final eight games of the season, mm-hmm. um, you are in position to where, okay, now everybody knows their roles. We went through our growing yeah. pains, survived that messy start. And that's what, you know, once the injury started to happen, I think that's where the position that the Saints were in is survive. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they can survive this start, then, yeah, as a, the offense should be what it always is. Right. Over the last half of the season. Yeah. And the thing that makes it easier for them to survive the back half of the schedule is that the front half of the schedule ended up being a little bit more challenging than we thought it was. And now the back half of the schedule is kind of lightening up, right? Because you have the three game road trip that's against the Denver Broncos, the Atlanta Falcons, the Philadelphia Eagles. All three of those teams have been atrocious so far this season. Uh, And then you have. now. Right. The Vikings have been, have been a problem. I mean, I'm sorry, have had problems. And so that's toward the end. That's your last or one of your last NFC opponents later on. That's the Christmas day game. The San Francisco 49ers have been injured and they're, they're getting healthier and they're getting better, but there might be an opportunity to take advantage of matchups there. So there's so many different things now toward the back half of the schedule that look more advantageous than what we thought it was going to look like that now is the time to get in rhythm. These three games, they've got Carolina, then they've got uh, what Chicago before they play Tampa Bay mm-hmm. again, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they'll have those three games. If they come out of these three games, two and one, that puts them in a really, really good position to, you know, perform for the back half of that schedule and then be in a good place moving forward there. You know, they unfortunately are dealing with an early bye week here again, as, as they so often have to. Uh, but, you know, we saw them, the, the big thing to look for is going to be this week for them to set a tone for themselves coming out of the bye week and getting these pieces back. And I, may, I mentioned pieces because ideally Janora Jenkins comes back. Marcus Davenport continues, uh, you know, comes back for his second game. Mike Thomas comes back. So there's all of these additional pieces that are coming back. They did not perform well off the bye week last year, which was really uncharacteristic for a Sean Payton team. Sean Payton's teams were the winningest teams coming out of bye weeks over since, since 2006. And then they had that terrible game against Atlanta uh, yes. at home. So ideally you don't see a repeat of that, but we just saw that happen to the Green Bay Packers two weeks in a row. I'm sorry, two, excuse me, two years in a row to where they had the bad game coming out of the bye weeks. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. Yeah, so this is an opportunity for the Saints to really set the tone for themselves, get that third straight win, and really put themselves on a, on a positive trajectory through the rest of the season as opposed to playing catch-up. The Carolina defense is not great. 
mm-hmm. but it's been better than it should be. Right. Um, you know, again, only two starters who entered this uh, came back from last year's defense. Very young group in a lot of places. Their whole draft was was basically a defense. They're playing pretty good, and then particularly in the red zone, yep. they've been able to stop teams there. And the Saints have not been great in the red zone <laughs> right. this season. That's is that the key offensively for the Saints? That's going to be one of them for sure. And and they've turned the tide a little bit over these last couple of weeks, but they've also played against the it's Chargers teams, defense. Yeah. Yes, exactly. A Lions defense and a Chargers defense, which you can't hang that up. There's no pennant to hang up for beating those teams, right? So you you do have to be cognizant of that. Like they've had a positive turn in the red zone, but how much can you really bank on it at this point? So you'll need to see that continue. They'll want to continue to have the success in the red zone. Michael Thomas doesn't entirely help with that because they don't often target Michael Thomas in the red zone you know but but what has happened so far this season that has worked to their advantage that they didn't do last season where they also struggled in the red zone is that they've gone back to the 2018 idea of relying on having both of those running backs on the field at the same time Latavius Murray and Alvin Kamara and they've gone to Alvin Kamara in the red zone and he's made good on those opportunities and so I think you'll continue to see that the uh the the Carolina Panthers are, are again good when it comes to red zone but they have been really bad at defending running backs whether it's in the run game in combined run and pass game um football outsiders is a metric called dvoa which is essentially you know you look at their the the success rate that they allow against a league average based on play-to-play game situation down and distance all of that they're 30th in the nfl in that metric allowing over like 26 percent above the nfl average in terms of successful plays to running backs in either the pass or run game so hey Good, good news for Alvin Kamara. Good news for Latavius Murray, who have been uh, a bit of a dynamic duo. You're seeing them being used a lot more this year in the ways that we saw Alvin Kamara and Mark Ingram used in 2017, 2018 than what we saw last season. So that's good news for the Saints. Um, and so the red zone is really going to come down to being able to convert with those backs as well as being able to find ways to be, to be creative in the red zone. They apparently really like using Taysom Hill in the red zone. It has worked once. It has not worked any other time. So I'm kind of hoping that they just keep Drew Brees on the field, particularly if he's in rhythm at that point and he's marched them down the field, take advantage of that, that momentum. I said that last week and then Taysom Hill ran in for a nine yard touchdown. So what do I know? But ideally, you know, I, if you ask me if I want to see Taysom Hill or Drew Brees on the field in scoring distance, I'm going to tell you Drew Brees 99.9% of the time. And so I think that it's, you know, getting Jared Cook involved in the red zone, taking advantage of Adam Troutman's size, taking advantage of uh, Traquan Smith's ability to make catches in traffic in the red zone. They'll have to be able to move the ball both through the air and in and on the ground in the red zone in order to take advantage of that. So I do think that's going to be a big key for them going into this game is being able to convert those red zone possessions into touchdowns, not just field goals. Are we past the expiration of the Taysom Hill experiment because it seems as a Taysom is is not making decisions it's it's it seems right. as if everything is predetermined when he steps on the field and B he's not producing mm-hmm. it's been upsetting <laughs> to say the least to see it because I mean I think people are going to try to put it in in context of the contract right but his contract this year is 4.2 million dollars so if he doesn't perform this year 
fine, whatever. And if he becomes your starting quarterback next season, then yeah, you're paying him a, a middling starting quarterback rate, which is not even great. middling. I mean, it right. would be, you'd still be playing in backup, backup numbers. Right. I mean, the, yeah. there are a lot of backups making double digit million dollars. Very true. Very true. So it's not, you know, so we, we can't really put this year in context of the contract because what he's getting paid next year will be able to evaluate depending upon what position he's playing. Right. This year, they're using him a lot more as a passer. They're using him a lot more as a quarterback. And the thing about it is that I've been able to confirm that Coach Payton is the one predetermining everything for him. He has the ability to go out there and make decisions if he's going to run or pass. He's predetermining his issues, right? So that's what we're seeing as a problem is that he's going to – defenses just know if Taysom Hill's back there, he's going to hold on to the ball. And they're going to go after him. So you can man up one-on-one across the, uh, across the look. And if they're within two yards of the receiver, it doesn't look like Taysom Hill's comfortable throwing that football at all. The thing about Taysom Hill that has been very different this year and that has continued since last we spoke is that they're not using him as a receiver. Nope. Which is where he was most effective last year and where he made, that's where he made his money. In the red zone. In the red zone. (laughs) Yep, exactly. And so you're seeing a a deficiency in the red zone from this team. You're seeing a lack of usage of Taysom Hill where he's been most effective. Eventually, those two things have to start to correspond with one another to a point where you say, hey, maybe (laughs) we should throw the ball to Taysom Hill. And they tried to last week, right? They tried to get the ball to him in the red zone after the Emmanuel Sanders catch that looked like a touchdown that wasn't a touchdown. And then, you know, Taysom Hill got drugged down by his face mask and everything in the middle of the route. So, you know, they did target him. The the intent was to go to him. So they're starting to do that. But I think that the, the sooner you're able to do that more effectively, then the sooner that you keep the Taysom Hill narrative alive because we're making a lot of evaluations about Taysom Hill as a quarterback, despite still not seeing him as a quarterback. You know what I mean? And if Drew Brees gets hurt, we still wouldn't see Taysom Hill at the quarterback position because his practice reps are spread across being in the backfield, being lined up tight, being lined up in line, being lined up at a receiver and being lined up in the slot, not necessarily at quarterback. So it's hard to really evaluate the Taysom Hill experiment because what we're seeing right now isn't consistent with the experiment that we've seen before. And it's not consistent with the experiment that we would see with him as a starting quarterback. So what it is, is that it's existing in this nexus that in and of itself has been incredibly ineffective so far this year. And I'm hoping that eventually they'll change him back to what we saw last year to where he's more of a a factor in the, in the passing game. Yeah. uh, Him lining up under center is just, there's no deception at all Mm -hmm. teams aren't even buying it and i saw that the last time i saw something like that was um the first time i saw denard robinson play um when he was a freshman at michigan and he was the backup then he was just a rumor and i I was at the big house watching michigan ohio state Mm -hmm. and tate forcier was the starter at that point for michigan and they would bring denard off the bench and it would be third down and the first time it worked, you know what I mean? Like the first time he got outside, made first down. It's like, all right, second time, not so much. By the fourth quarter, everybody in the stadium who was a Michigan fan and Ohio State folks knew that when Denard was in the game, he was not throwing the ball. You know right. what I mean? So it's just like you just turned your head because Ohio State was just keying in. And I think yep. that's kind of, like you said, when you put Taysom in that situation right now, how could he have? Whether you think he's going to be the starter or not, and I don't, how could he have the confidence to throw when right. you're not seeing live reps ever? 
right. as a quarterback. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, you, yeah, I think that's a great point is that you, we have to, we have to understand the perspective of even takes him in that situation. Like, of course he's uncomfortable. Of course he's uncomfortable because he's being asked to run this sort of option offense every time that he's in, in the, every time that he's in the lineup. And so he's going to stick with what he knows. He's going to do what he feels like he can do. And we're also not seeing Taysom. And, and it's because of the fact that he's coming from the quarterback position to where he's running laterally a lot in terms of trying to get around an edge. We're not seeing the downhill. I'm going to run you over persona that we usually see with Taysom because that's not the style of play. Isn't allowing him to do that. He can't get North South off of an option read. He's not going to be able to do that if he's getting tackled in the backfield and everyone's expecting him to hold on to the ball. So he's getting tackled in the backfield and we're not seeing the explosive plays to where he's getting yards after contact because he's not able to take that contact head on. He's not able to square up to that. So he's having to try to beat defenders outside who already have the beat on him. And so it's, it's of course it's not working. Like it's, it's a lot different taking on a safety or a corner um, when you've gotten space, when he's lined mm-hmm. up wide than it is trying to get across, get outside the edge on D linemen and linebackers yeah. who, yeah, he, he can put his head down all he wants. You're not pushing right. over 280, 290. It's right. just not happening. Right. And there was a play that they tried. I think it was in the Detroit game. It was a screen pass to him outside in a trips formation that I thought would have worked. They tried it the next week again with Alvin Kamara. Both of them resulted in drops, unfortunately. But I think both of those plays could have worked. Oh, it was the... It was a game at home. I think it was the Green Bay game. So where Drew threw it too high for him, it was like a third and one. He threw it too high for him. So Taysom had to leap to catch yes. it. Yes. And yeah, by I'm, the time that he he, he got there was nowhere down. to go when he came down. Right. Yep. right. So there was nothing for him to do. And so you've seen some other factors that have been a part of when they are using him as a receiver to where the ball's not in his frame, that he's having to utilize wasted motion in order to either catch the ball or to get in position for the ball. And so he's not able to do what we have seen before to where he gets hit in stride with the pass and which allows him to carry momentum into and in many cases through a defender. Right. So that was the part that worked for him as a receiver we, we haven't been able to see that so far this season. And it's not entirely due to his own fault. It's just that even in the moments where he's been used as a receiver, that was early on in, in times where Drew Brees' passes, the ball location was, was a big question mark, things like that. We're seeing Drew Brees get more comfortable now. We're seeing places, we're seeing him throw receivers open. We're seeing great ball placement, back shoulder placement, all of that. So I, I hope that that will then translate into more opportunities for Taysom where we know it works, which is as a receiver. Well, we go into this game. Um, I think the spread was a little wide. I was surprised by it. Seven and a half. I was like, why? (laughs) Look, these are teams that are all-time 29 and 29 against each other. Right. I have long stated that the Panthers may not be the bitter rival, but they're the best rival that the Saints have had since Mm -hmm. since the NFC South has formed. Right. The games are consistently good. They are consistently close. There are very few blowouts in this series when you have effective quarterbacks on both sides. You right. know, that's what we've seen. The, the skewed part is when Cam was hurt or the Saints right. were, you know. In this series, when these two teams basically are equal, it's a, it's a field goal or, or, or six points or less typically. Mm-hmm. So I think this is another one of those games that comes down to three to five points um, on Sunday. You give the Saints the edge because they're at home. I give them the edge because of their experience. Um, they should win this game, but I do think this again. This will be one that's going to be a that would be more difficult than we would have thought it was. But when the season started, 
Yeah, I mean, when the season started for me, I thought that this game was going to be like the petty Sean Payton game because he's See if going I can up get against 50 on this. <laughs> right, right, because he's going up against Joe Brady, right, who's using his system, who's leveraged Sean Payton's system to get this job, that job, all this other stuff. And so I thought, all right, maybe this would be that game coming off the bye week, more time to prepare for it, a comfortable team coming in, going up against a familiar quarterback, a familiar system, familiar scheme, and uh, you know, a, a defense that's worse for wear, that's not great, not bad. And I thought, okay, this this will be the game to where Sean Payton kind of goes this is how it's done, Joe. And then kind of, you know, goes out there and is petty. But at this point, I don't know if that's going to be the case because, and this is something that I actually agree with, the Saints are running the ball a lot more on early downs outside of, uh, of two-minute drills and outside of garbage time. They are relying on both of those backs a lot more throughout the games, later in games, even when they're trailing. You saw them still stick to the run game against Detroit when they were down 14. So they're still doing that. So I don't know that the Saints really do open this one up. I could still see Sean Payton going for an unnecessary shot late in the game just to make a statement. You know what I mean? Right. I think we like kind of what we saw uh, week one against Tampa Bay where they tried to get Alvin Kamara into the end zone and get up to 40. Um, so I can still see that happening. But I do think that we saw last week that for the Carolina Panthers, what's going to cause them the most trouble in terms of being able to produce in this game is going to be a pass rush because Teddy's going to want to hold on to the ball. He's going to want to let routes develop. They're taking a lot of shots downfield and they're doing a lot of route combinations that require time. So the less time that this defensive line gives Teddy and the more that they can get in his face and the more that they can not even I mean, get him to the ground if you can, but the more they can get in his face, the better off that this defense is going to be able to fare against some very talented and uh, talented in places where the Saints struggle wide receivers, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that that has to be the key. But at this point, I agree that even with all of that, I'm not taking a seven and a half spread for the Saints. I can't. I can't. I know that they're scoring 30 points, over 30 points per game, but also allowing over 30 points yeah, per game. They're only plus well. three. Like, they're right. only plus three. And Carolina is only minus three right. you know, for the season. Right. So it's not like it, they're basically – dead even that right. you know that that's a field goal so yeah. so to me this is this is a closer game than i think people imagine what i think what you want to see in this game is it doesn't have to be a blowout you just want to see the saints not be in a position to where they have to claw themselves back from two three scores down that is going to be the big thing right can we please get past dennis allen's diagnosis drive on defense to open up the game. Um, I can't take it anymore. I, you know, I, we always talk about a bend, don't break defense, but I have yet to see the don't in that situation so far. And so I think that that's where you want to see improvements. You want to see this be either a game or the saints have a lead that they maybe give up late because they're playing soft and they know that they can still win. Right. A comfortable lead, sort of like what you saw. Yeah. Against Detroit. Right. Exactly. So I think that that's what you want to see. Yeah, they can't do that. And I think Joe Brady has has done a very good job. I mean, you already see he's in those conversations mm-hmm. now. People are already – he's not even halfway through his first season at no. an offensive coordinator, and people are talking about him as the next guy. Right. And the, the next Sean McVay. He's going to be a head coach. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. It, it which is, which is incredible. Congratulations. Yeah, I, I'm not going to hate you on that, man. He's You know, you do what you got to do. But it's – yeah, I, I think that there will be – I think you're going to see a lot – of crosses you can see a lot of getting the saints to go side to side 
you're going to see the Saints go up against what they're, what they're putting on the field. Like they're going up against themselves essentially, but maybe a little bit more of an evolution in terms of what is most comfortable for Teddy and whatever Joe Brady has kind of added to it to make it work. I mean, what you're basically going to see is people that ask the question about whether or not LSU's 15 and 0 team could beat NFL teams. That's what you're going to watch in terms of offense versus defense next week uh, or this week for the Saints. I mean, you're going to see a, a lot of that. And, and like you mentioned, the crossing routes, because the Saints have played so much man coverage this season, they've struggled against those. So that's when the pass rush has to be the factor. And these are the, the, like you said, these receivers that Carolina grew, oh. all of them can operate in space. All of them mm-hmm. run like running backs. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the thing is – the Saints have to be t- sure tacklers. They have it's it's yards after catch. Yep, they have to be minimized and yep. penalties always mm-hmm. penalties with always. this team. Uh, Ross, man, we could we could do thirty more minutes of this if we wanted to. It's been a great conversation. I'm so I missed you, man. I missed you. you I'm glad too, to, man. to do this again. Please. We need to get the we need to get the three hour we need to find a time to get like the three hour version of the dome patrol in one. Yeah, we got to do when, <laughs> when just it's, do it live. <laughs> yeah, we have to do something. Eventually, we're gonna have to get into the same place at the same time. Yes. That's gonna be the uh, one when we're in the same <laughs> building the same time and really can do it. Right. That'll be the best. But until then, please tell the folks all of the places they can find you. Yeah, man, absolutely. Always a pleasure. Of course, number one, first and foremost, every Wednesday with the Dome Patrol here on Hard in the Paint with David Grubb. Uh, but you can also catch me daily over at the Locked on Saints podcast, of course, where you can find wherever, you know, with whatever your preferred podcast provider is, we're everywhere there. And then, uh, of course, Canal Street Chronicles for the write-ups. And you can hear me, uh, if I could pitch one radio thing, too, you can hear me uh, every Thursday with Gus Cattengill over at uh, ESPN NOLA. Uh, love Gus. So, we yeah, love Gus. Gus is, Gus is good people. So and you, had, always... um, you were with uh, Deuce Windham and... Oh, yeah, Deuce and Elias. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Deuce and Elias. I'm not there. Oh man, no, we had but so much it was, I'm just that was one of your recent ones. So yeah. I, I, folks should check that one out. Because yeah. Deuce is great. Yeah, Deuce man. Great. Uh, they, they've been awesome. I've been working with them Tuesday, Thursday, Sundays. I'm on most of the shows. I'm not there this week. I wasn't able to do last night because I got a we had a I got a big news and everything that I had to I had to deal with and That's not all. deal with. You know, you don't deal with big news. You know what I mean? You you welcome big news. Congratulations. Um, thank you, brother. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. And then um and then tomorrow I'm not going to be on because it's Thursday. I'm not going to be on because it's Megan and I's anniversary. So I'm going I'm to keep it. I'll be back. Thank you, man. Thank you. It's a big week. Big yes. week in the Jackson, in the Jackson Ganey household, man. Uh, <laughs> and then, uh, but I'll be back there Sunday night after the game to recap. All right, my man. I, I'll look forward. Look, we'll be talking obviously off offline as we do. And mm. I, I think Sunday will, this is a real revealing opportunity for the saints. Yep. We should start to see we are at that one-third mark. We yep. just passed the one-third mark with this game. And we should start to see a turn somewhere. It's going to go is, one way or the other. <laughs> this is the part of the season where you have to start doing it because we're seeing it. We're seeing the shakeout in other divisions now. Right. We're seeing the, the Bills start to be exposed a little bit. Mm-hmm. We're seeing that Kansas City is, has started to make their adjustment. Right. And trying to be more physical offensively. Mm-hmm. We're seeing, you know, the NFC East, we know what it is. It is a mess of epic proportions, maybe right. that we've never seen in any division right. in, in a single year. I mean, yeah. it's just, it's that bad. So the teams are starting to separate themselves already and get into their 
true identities. And we need to figure out what the Saints' true identity is. And this three-week stretch, I think you're absolutely right, with two division games and a game against the Bears who, yeah, ain't perfect. Right. But their record is (laughs) – And that defense is, you know, the Bears defense is always going to be solid. Mm -hmm. This is, if we don't know who the Saints are after these three games, then I'd feel really frightened as a fan or as an observer what their future holds down the stretch. Because people are already bailing on them at the two to nine or seven and saying that's how they're going to close this year. So that is a huge down sell from where people were um, going into this year. Yeah, absolutely. We'll get a lot of questions either answered or added or to added. the plate yes. <laughs> this week. <laughs> so for Ross Jackson, I am David Grubb. You know, y'all can follow me at DM Grubb, Twitter, Instagram, and the website HITPwithDG.com. We'll be back next Wednesday with hopefully a very positive <laughs> result. No sad uh, boy, no sad boy don't patrol next week, y'all. I can't, I can't do another, I can't do it. We'll be back at Balder than ever next week. <laughs> Thank y'all for listening. <laughs> See you soon.